Today's show is made possible by your friends, Ron and Don. They came super prepared, and they were quick to see that, even though I never told them. Uh, and I really appreciated that. Licensed Realtors with Windermere Midtown. When you're ready to sit down and strategize about your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. You're listening to The Ron and Don Show on the Ron and Don Radio Network, ronanddon.com. Hey, you guys, what's going on? It's episode number 130 of The Ron and Don Show. We are live from the Les Schwab Studios on the shores of South Lake Union. He's Ron Upshaw. I'm Don O'Deal. It's The Ron and Don Show. And again, episode 130. How about that? It's fantastic. Hey, uh, kiddos, are they going back to school or are they not in Washington State? And also, let's talk about the fact that Jenny Durkin is now pushing back because the Seattle City Council wants to take the police budget and they want to cut it in half. She said, you know what? You want to cut it in half? Not so fast. And also Police Chief Carmen Best is pushing back. And if you're an entrepreneur, chances are you may be getting through this, this COVID-19 hangover. As we get ready for a second wave, will there be a second wave? Yeah, you might be better off because the way you're wired and the way you're built. Some new science out on that and some new science out on mass today. So we'll talk about that. Before we talk about that, let's talk about this. Uh, Last night, Bothell, Washington, uh, about 1230 in the morning, uh, there was a chase, a police chase. And as a result of that, there is a police officer in Bothell that is no longer with us. There is a police cruiser right now parked outside the Bothell City Hall. People are stopping by with flowers. And then I see these fights begin on the Internet. And people are saying, see, see, I told you blue lives matter. See, I told you. And they're looking at the Black Lives Matter movement and they're blaming what happened in Bothell on the Black Lives Matter movement. And if you talk to people within the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, people are really all over the map in the way that they feel about police and the way they feel about policing. Some people feel that in their communities they're over-policed. And some people feel like, hey, having the police here is a necessary force. It's something that we need, especially in the inner cities. And again, going back to the Seattle City Council now saying, hey, here in Seattle, we're going to cut that budget in half. And maybe what we'll do is we'll redirect the funds. Let's talk about this. Something that I've learned that I've ne- and I've never been able to do this, you guys. Something that I've learned in therapy. And I don't know if you've heard of this before, Ron. I'm sure you have. It's called holding space. How can I hold space? And in this case, there's really not just two different ideas, but if you really look at the nuance of it all, there's lots of different ideas when it comes to all lives matter, blue lives matter, black lives matter. Lots of different points of view, lots of different perspectives, lots of different lenses to look through. And what I learned in therapy, because I'm a fixer, so when my son is having a hard time on the playground and there's a bully, I have a tendency to show up in the principal's office and say, hey, let's fix this thing. And what I found out is that doesn't fix anything for my son because it takes away his personal power and it doesn't allow him to go out on the playground and figure out things for himself. In other words, how can I listen to him? How can I support him? How can I look at things through a 10-year-old's perspective, through his frame? Uh, How can I understand where G-Force O'Neill is coming from and at the same time not step in and fix it for him. 
if you have a partnership, if you're in a relationship, uh, a, a business connection, people that you work with, you probably know what I'm talking about. And I have surrounded myself in my life. I A lot of men in my life, they're fixers too. We see a problem. It's like, hey, let's go fix it. We went and fixed the Cleveland High School football field. That was three of my friends. They're all fixers. We're like, let's go fix this thing. And sometimes being a fixer uh, serves us well. And it serves our community well. serves our families well. serves our partnerships, our relationships well. But in this particular case, when we look at Black Lives Matter, and then we see what happened in Bothell last night. This is where, for me, I have to learn to step back and say, you know what? There's lots of different perspectives here. And I need to hold space for people that see this differently than I do. And Ron, it takes a lot of maturity and it's really hard to hold space for all the different views that people have about this officer in his life being taken, he was murdered in Bothell, Washington last night. Yeah, so I, there's a lot to unpack there. So uh, I want to start out by saying, and I, you know, hopefully this doesn't come off as trite, but just thoughts and good and positive loving vibes to the city of Bothell and to that family that lost an officer. Uh, I don't care where you land on this political spectrum. No one deserves to go to work on their shift and uh, end up losing their life in the course of that shift. So um, I, my first thoughts go to him and i just want to firmly plant that in the ground because now i'm going to jump far afield of that entire and zoom way out uh, but you know obviously we are, are thinking about that family so let's zoom out here and this is what i think is going on and it absolutely drives me nuts we talked a couple episodes about a new book that i bought on how to think and how to uh, look at problems and the thing that i just is an epidemic right now in america is we've all siloed ourselves and we are constantly comparing one thing to another thing that are not related in any way. And we go, well, what about that? Oh, we got this shooting that happened in Bothell. What about police, dis- uh, you know, uh, defunding the police? What about Black Lives Matter? Those things are entirely separate. They are not connected. They philosophically, you can try to throw them into the same bucket, but they are separate things. And so I would encourage people as we navigate through COVID and Black Lives Matter and defunding the police and, uh, you know, affordable housing and all these issues to pause for a minute and try to divorce. Like I had a conversation there about Roger Stone. What about, you know, Bill Clinton pardon people? Nixon pardons. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what another president did when this case. We have to be able to look at individual cases. Yes, there is precedent if you're the Supreme Court. Yes, there is maybe historical context. But one thing may or may not have anything to do with another thing. So in this particular case, the way my brain works is like, okay, well, one issue that we could talk about is do we want police doing high speed slash low speed chases uh, between midnight and six in the morning? Is there a net positive to that? So if you have a suspected hit-and-run driver, you do a a chase. We don't know whether that guy was on substance or not. He freaks out. He he, uh, does a car chase and then gets out of the car, ends up with an officer being dead. So there are departments like Los Angeles. It's like they reexamined, are we going to do chases? Is it it, it a net positive to do high-speed chases, low-speed chases? They said no. We're not going to chase someone at 100 miles an hour on a freeway. Not worth it. That guy's going to get caught sooner or later. Not worth it to put everybody in danger on that. So that's one topic we can talk about. The other topic is trying to compare and contrast these movements 
about who matters and whose life is worth what based on a, a crime or a, a murder that happened, an accident that happened. Uh, those things are not connected. They just aren't. So you may feel like they're connected and you may want them to be connected, but they're not. So let's talk about police and funding the police and budgeting on the police. That's, that's a one conversation. Let's talk about Black Lives Matter in the city of Bothell or in the city of Seattle. That is another conversation. Do those two worlds bump into each other all the time? They do. But to say, and I just challenge people, if you are tempted to say, yeah, but this thing happened over here, therefore this thing over here, like Black Lives Matter, does or does not matter more or less. Unless they are directly connected, that one does not interact with the other. And I mean, the famous psychological experiment, the example they always gave is, you know, causation and correlation. They would say, oh, uh, 90% of serial killers were breastfed. Therefore, breastfeeding leads to being a serial killer. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. That's a fact, but it doesn't mean it caused one thing. And so I, I really just encourage people because we're going down this path where you jump on your social media channels and you go, yeah, but what about that? So whatever your hot button is, you attach it to something that's happening in the world and you go, well, what about that? What about that? Like, let's, let's, let's tease them out, talk about them one at a time. And if they happen to be connected, then we'll break it down and we'll connect them. But in my mind, the Blue Lives Matter or this police incident in Bothell that left an officer dead and Black Lives Matter, they have very little to do with each other. Yeah. Unless they have something to do with each other. Unless they have something to do with each but other. But in this particular case, it seems like they don't. So let's do this. We'll come back. We're talking about the police. We've heard about defunding the police. Saturday City Council seems to want to defund the police. The Mayor Durkin and Chief Best, they're pushing back. Uh, we come back, let's talk about... And, and I might surprise you, because I'm very... I'm very supportive of the police, but there's some things that they do here in Seattle that officers do here in Seattle that I don't agree with, and I think it should be changed. And I'll tell you, if I was the mayor, if I was the police chief, what I would do next right here. It's episode 130. It's the Ron and Don Show only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Hey, you guys, what's going on? It's Ron and Don for Les Schwab. Don't forget, COVID-19, it is changing the way that we all do things. And at Les Schwab, we're getting pretty good. At staying safe and keeping up with free safety checks at Les Schwab for your vehicle. We encourage you to schedule an appointment online to expedite service and limit your time in the store. And really, again, it's all about staying safe while you're in the store and then staying safe when you're on the road this summer. Yeah, I mean, everybody is getting back on the road. The traffic is increasing. Les Schwab wants to help you drive safe. That's why all of the safety-related services, tires, brakes, alignment, they are on sale right now through July 11th. Save up to $210. Save up to 110 bucks off a set of four select tires, $50 off brakes with the purchase of a set of four tires, and $50 off alignment with the purchase of a set of four tires. Swing by or book online, as Don said, at leschwab.com so you can get right in there. This is a limited time offer while supplies last. Actual discount amount depends on tire size and type. Cannot be combined with other offers. Details at leschwab.com. Les Schwab Tires. Doing the right thing matters. They're hard workers, they're hustlers, and they're fun to hang out with at the same time. <laughs> when it comes to your real estate journey, it truly is one of life's biggest transactions. 
If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. That's what commercial real estate expert Laura Miller did. I purchased a home in Alki, and it was a really cute uh, mid-century modern home. It was uh, a lot of more management than I expected. And I am a broker, but I do handle commercial. I don't do residential. And Don came with Ron. He was incredibly well-prepared. They were just really impressive. And the things that they outlined that they were, were going to provide their services were, it just made it easy. It was a laydown. Ron and Don seemed completely committed to listening to what my needs were and addressing them. I also got the sense that they're adaptable to what different clients' needs are. So for me, what was important was communication, ability to reach the brokers, to feel like I still had a fair amount of control on the deal. I like to have a fair amount of communication as to what's going on in the market, what are you doing today, <laughs> to um, you know move the sale forward. And they were collaborative. They came forward with some really great ideas, even little details like, could you water the plant while you're there? They're like, uh, of course. And they would show me them watering the plant. <laughs> the weekend that we sold the house, um, they were really successful and they came up with some creative ideas and they were always present, completely available to accommodate my schedule. Uh, we did most of our meetings in what I would consider off hours, late night meetings, no problem. Never felt rushed always felt like they were really attentive to details. I can't wait to do another deal with them. It was great. It was awesome. We did really well. When you're ready to sit down with Ron and Don and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. Here's my dad and his boyhood friend, Mr. Ron, and my dad, Don. All right, you guys, it's episode 130 of the Ron and Don Show. As you heard, we are licensed brokers with Windermere. In fact, reach out to us. We're going to do this with Bernie this week, one of our Ron and Don listeners. We'll do a virtual sit-down. You can do that. Just write Ron. Ron at Windermere.com. You can write me, Don O'Neill, at Windermere.com. Everything at Ron and Don. Uh, radio.com. They're talking a lot about defunding the, the police, and I, we were talking about holding space. And so I challenge myself because my gut reaction is I'm going to push back on, on this. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to push back. Defund the police? What the hell are you talking about? What's the matter with you? You're, how are you not supportive of police officers? And I have to step back and hold space and say just because people want to defund SPD and use that money in a different way, a different fashion – that doesn't mean that they're anti-police. Right. And so I need to hold some space. So I really thought about this, and I said, you know, if it were me, if I was in charge, if I was sitting on the Seattle City Council, if I was Mayor Durkin or if I was Chief Vest, what would be some things that I would want to do with SPD to kind of shake it up? And some of these things might, might, might surprise you a little bit. Number one, I talked to my friend the other day uh, who has spent a lot of time, a lot of time, and she's a psychotherapist. She has spent a lot of time with people that have had drug addiction, have had lots of encounters with lots of cops. And she said, you know what? It would be helpful to have people out there that are in different uniforms so we can so we know who they are. And someone like her, she'd be great at it, uh, that don't have guns, that don't show up with batons. And when somebody is in mental crisis... 
to have a mental health worker or a team of mental health workers show up. And they're talking about doing this in Seattle right now. We have something called navigation teams where police officers will come out and they're trained somewhat. Uh, but they're not doctors in psychology, right? Like she is. And they do show up with batons and guns and mace and spray and all that other stuff. She said to me, because we were talking about triggers on episode 129, you and I, she said, you would not believe the trigger that that creates for someone. And then she painted a picture. She said, Don, what is it like for you? Because you have never been in a jail cell before. You've never been in handcuffs. You've never been arrested. It's very rare that you've been pulled over. But when you are, she said, what, what happens? What is your reaction when you look through your rearview mirror and those lights and sirens are going? I'm like, my heart is in my throat. She said, your heart is in your throat and you haven't done anything wrong and you're not drunk and you're not high and you're not having a mental issue, but your heart is in your throat. She said, now think about what that's like if you have done something wrong or think about what that's like if you are bipolar or think about what that's like if you've had run-ins with police officers before and it didn't end well and you ended up in a jail cell or doing time or whatever that is. And she said, it is such a trigger for a lot of people that struggle with mental illness when somebody shows up with a badge and with a gun and she said you know what we should begin to have discussions about what it would be like to take some of that money and divert it toward having these navigation teams like the city of seattle already has but navigation teams that don't have badges they don't have guns but they have uniforms they look a little more friendly and when people show up people understand you're not going to jail i am not here to take you to jail I am here to help you. And a lot of times she said when a cop shows up and says, I'm not here to take you to jail, when you've gone to jail before or you've had uh, a, a difficulty with maybe another police officer and they weren't exactly officer friendly, and we've seen a lot of that on videotape, especially some officers that come out of the military and then they take that military training. In fact, the, the state patrol here and, and a lot of uh, states around the country, they prefer to have people that are militarily trained uh, because they are paramilitary organizations. So let, let me ask you this. What did she say? Because I know that there are people listening right now. They're like, oh, yeah, well, what if it's volatile? What if you show up and it's a drug addict with a gun or a drug addict with a knife or some a big guy that's stoned on PCP and he wants yeah. to fight? Then you call uh, what, somebody, what about that? Then you call somebody with a gun, and then, and then the police show up and they do... Uh, what a police officer is supposed to do. So nonetheless, we should at least have conversations about that. Oh, I agree. They are doing this in other communities. Here's They're doing the this thing, in New, New Jersey, and they are, they are having some, some I, success. I, I'm all with, for with, trying this with, out. With this model. Here, but I want everyone to pay attention to what's going to happen, because right now, Jenny Durkin's going to do a shell game here in Seattle to appease people. And you have some very loud voices that are calling for this uh, defunding the police. Almost all the city council. And so she, yeah. uh, the last story that I read is like, okay, well, here's what I'm going to do. Right now, uh, something like dispatch is falls under the police budget. That kind of makes sense. They're dispatching the police and fire. So part of the budget pays for that. So she will maybe peel that off of the budget. Yeah. So your budget drops by X millions of dollars, whatever it costs to pay for the dispatch, which is probably a lot. All the technology and all the man hours and everything it takes to keep that system running is probably a lot of money. Yeah. So if you, if you carve that out of the police budget and then you rebrand it, as human services or city infrastructure or whatever it would be rebranded as and absorbed into a different budget, 
um, you can then go back and say, look at this. Yeah. I just carved out to $15 million a year or whatever. I don't know the number, but I'm making up a number. Um, and now did that this is the thing that's going to happen we're going to do a shell game situation where you take things out and you rebrand them and you move them over here and you hide it into this city thing and that's what politicians love to do that especially when you have as many departments as the city of seattle has but did that accomplish anything did that move take the movement and make it move well i would argue no and so if we really want change on this, and if we really want uh, to move this forward, again, I, I, I prefer to not look to the city all the time in government to solve my problems. We talked about this a little bit before. If you are saying, I'm a Black Lives Matter person, I get it now. I'm reading White Fragility, and I listen to Uncivil, which I got some feedback on Facebook of saying how much they loved it, so go listen to that podcast. And like, I want to be part of the solution now. Hire someone of color. Buy product from businesses run by people of color. Like, do things with your dollars and your time and your volunteering and your effort uh, and your travel and your dining and all of those things. Just have it be an option. Even if you don't choose that, just by thinking about it, you're now aware of it. Yeah. And so when you're like, we're going out to dinner, is there a, a, a restaurant of color that we could go to that we'd like? And maybe there is, maybe there isn't. But even just thinking about that, now you're going to move it forward because there will be instances where you do that yeah. and you do spend your money there or you do when you're making a hire. Go, okay, I got five different candidates. Maybe I hire the person of color this time because they're kind of all equal. And yeah. so why not? Yeah. I'm going to be part of the solution. That helps more than bitching about whether or not uh, the police budget is going to be diced and sliced and put back together in a way that, you know, you feel like it was cut enough or you feel like it wasn't cut enough. Yeah. A couple more things here. The city of Seattle, I've talked, talked about this before. We have a lot of second responders in our police department. You would be blown away in certain sectors. Uh, if you call the police, in fact, this year I've called the police department twice trying to get somebody to show up after a break-in and they never showed up. They just did not show up. Uh, and one of the reasons they didn't show up is I talked to an officer that's on this beat. There, there just there, there are no there are no patrol cops. So most of the people uh, that get promoted to detective, you become a second responder. Now you're an investigator, and it's one of the reasons why the rank and file here is they drug their feet for three and a half years to sign their new contract because the city of Seattle came back and said, hey, when we need you to be a patrol officer, we need you to go be a patrol officer because we have some of these areas where we lack police. And right now in Seattle, especially with a lot of the marches, when you look in other parts of the city, I was on Highway 99 a number of weeks ago, and there must have been 500 cars Somebody went out online and they put together this race on Interstate 5. I was coming home. It was 1230 in the morning. The next thing you know, I'm surrounded by these cars probably going over 100 miles an hour. Cars and motorcycles. And then they were all meeting in this industrial parking lot and spinning out and turning and going. And I was there wasn't, there, there wasn't a cop anywhere. And the reason there wasn't a cop anywhere, because at the same time, the night before, we had just had this protester killed on I-5. So that's where all the cops were. And people know that. They know that, hey, there's only, only so many cops in this area. It's important. That if you are a detective here in the city of Seattle, if we need you to go patrol, 
that you will go and be a patrol cop. And I would really love to see Seattle police specifically say, yeah, I'll go patrol. I'll put that uniform on. And I talked to one of my friends, a detective, and he said, hey, I haven't had that uniform on in 20 years. And I don't plan on putting that uniform on uh, anytime soon. A couple other things here. And this, I've dated three different, in the, in the last 10 years, I've dated three different officers in, in two different agencies. This rubbed me the wrong way. And I used to get into it with my partners about this. Uh, I'd be like, hey, what's going on? Uh, do you want to go do something today? It's your day off. They're like, no. And they would be putting on their battle rattle. I'm like, where are you going? And they're, they're, well, it's not my day off. I'm scheduled. I'm on shift today. So I'm like, oh, you're going to work. They're like, no, I'm not going to work. I, well, where are you going? I am going to fill in the blank because there's so much extra work to do here in the city of Seattle, whether it's a construction site or whether it's the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, whether it's, you think of all the Amazon execs, Starbucks execs, all that, all these executives, they have police details. The police details are police officers that are working while they're still a police officer for state patrol or for King County or Pierce County or here in uh, the city of Seattle. What these police officers do is they call in when, on their shift when it's time for roll call and they say that they're sick today. Then they report to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation or then they report because they have so much vacation time or then they report to Microsoft or then they report to Jeff Bezos because he's in town and they get paid time and a half. Sometimes they get paid double time over $100 an hour. They make more money doing an overtime shift. Plus, there's not a lot to do. You just kind of stand around and you talk with other police officers that are there. They make more money on an overtime shift than they do on their regular shift. So you're allowed to call in, not go to your shift. You can go and work, let's say, for the Seattle Seahawks or the Mariners, be part of their security team. And you're getting paid by the city of Seattle and the Seattle Mariners. Or you're getting paid by the state patrol, the state of Washington, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. You're getting paid by both of those. You're double dipping. And that's why when you look in the paper and you see these police officers that are making $349,000 last year, it's because they're able to take that uniform, that gun, that badge, not show up for work, and then turn around and pivot and go make money being off duty. And when they're off duty, guess what? They're not considered a police officer. They are just considered a security guard, but they have all their gear on from the city of Seattle or King County or State Patrol or whatever it is. That to me, that to me, that to me is a crime, is a financial crime in a city, in a state right now where we lack police officers. And other police officers will say and scream, we lack policing, we lack other police officers. Well, the reason you lack police officers is because you're hanging out at the foundation, you're hanging out at Microsoft, you're hanging out at Amazon, you're hanging out at Jeff Bezos' house, you're providing protection for Bill and Melinda Gates, and you're not providing protection for the rest of us. That is a conversation that needs to happen, and that is something that needs to change. It's the Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. We could
could use your help to spread the word that Ron and Don Radio can now be heard worldwide on your phone at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor FM. Please tell someone and hit subscribe. All right, you guys, before we get out of here, a couple quick headlines. It's the Ron and Don Show, episode 130. Ron, I'm going to pitch. You're going to hit uh, some new science coming out of San Francisco this afternoon saying, hey, when you wear a mask, not only are you protecting other people, but now we're finding out you're actually protecting yourself and there's some good science people say ah it's not the 95 mass so it's not protecting you from the aerosol droplets evidently it is because they've been looking specifically at places like starbucks where workers are packed in but they have their mask on or they're looking at protests and people were packed in 60,000 here in the city of seattle but the virus didn't spread and they're saying one of the reasons the big reason the virus didn't spread not only if i have my mask on right now am i protecting ron which you've heard but i'm also protecting my own health what say you and get this They just did a nationwide survey. 64% of Democrats say when they go outside, they wear a mask sometimes. For Republicans, they say they wear a mask 24% of the time sometimes. There's a lot of people not wearing masks out there. And as a result of that, when we look around the world... There's a lot of communities where kids are going back to school, where sports are happening. People are playing soccer. People are able to go into an auditorium and they're able to go back to church or they're able to go see a rock concert. Not here in the United States, and we're not even done with the first wave yet, and it's out of control. Yeah, this is, I, I'm, I'm, I'm almost weary of talking about this because there, there should not be a debate. This should not be political. We should not have the White House attacking uh, Dr. Fauci right now, which is just insane. insane yeah. The fact that this has become some sort of political maneuvering is beyond saddening to me. Um, and so it, the, there's a trap that's been built that there's no way out of. Because I'm tempted to say, just wear a mask. That's what they say. And if you are a non-mask wearer, you're going to go, oh, look, you're part of the liberal elite media. Okay, like there's no way to get around this. Like I don't understand what, if it, are you sticking it to the man? Yeah. Are you anti-authority? But the authority, the, the government is to the part telling you to not do it. So you're in lockstep with authority, just on the wrong side of the authority. You're anti-science? Yeah. Because you think that what, they're part of a cabal to restrict your freedoms? Like I don't, I, I literally, this one, in all the years we've been doing this and trying to talk, I've usually prided myself on going, at least I can understand the other side. Like most issues, you know, gun control. I can wrap my head around their logic. I can go, okay, I disagree with you, but I, I get where you're coming from. I see how you arrived here. You hold that space like we're talking about. Right. Holding, holding this space. one, I can't even get there. Yeah. I'm like, what? what is it that you're pushing up against that would make you say, I am not going to wear a mask? Do you, do you, a virus is microscopic. You can't see it. Does not care who the host is. It, it just like there's yeah. no immunity, yeah. there's no superpower that you're invoking when you do this. So, I mean, I, I'm at a loss to try and and explain this yeah. any better than that. And I'm okay with my mind being changed. Uh, I was running, doing trail running without a mask on, and people on the trail, especially when it was tight and I was coming the other way, they would they would turn their backs to me, and I'm like, wow, there's a lot of people, tur-, which I'm used to people turning their turning their backs. 
but this was beginning to happen in unison. I'm like, wow, I'm really creating fear for other people by riding, by running by, huffing and puffing. But I thought I had read the science and the science said, hey, you're outdoors and you shouldn't have to worry about it. But nonetheless, I'm freaking them out. So I've started to wear a gator that I pull up when I'm running. And I had a guy yell at me yesterday and he started uh, acting, he started acting like a sheep and he was calling me a sheep because that's a big thing that people are doing online where they're, oh, you're a sheep, you're a sheep. So I stopped and I said, I just want to ask you a question. And I did it with my mask up. He didn't have a mask on. I said, you just call me a sheep and then you bah, like a sheep. I said, are you a Christian? Because 84% of Americans say that they're a Christian. A new Pew Research is out. It used to be 96% 10 years ago. He said, yeah, I'm a Christian. I said, that's weird. I said, do you know this passage from Galatians? I think it's Galatians 3, 19, maybe. But it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I said, you've probably heard of that, right? So if he's the shepherd, there's got to be sheep. And you believe in a shepherd because you're a Christian. So you believe he's a shepherd. So what problem do I have or you have is just being sheep? I said, I'm going to go now. And if Jesus had a microphone, he'd drop it right here. It's the Ron and Don Show. Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. You keep your head up. You keep your shoulders back. You keep your mask up. And we'll see you next time for episode 131, everybody. Again, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Hey, it's G-Force O'Neill, brains of this operation, and the voice of the Ron and Don Show. Well, that's it. Show's over. We'll see you next time on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Oh, 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 oh,